so I'm not sure why you're what attracted you to this session today. That's a little bit of what I would like to try and understand. I um, I got involved with small groups. I'll tell you um, almost by accident. Is it possible to fall into a small group, yeah. <laughs> right? And and so. Um, I don't know that I didn't go looking for a small group. I really didn't know what a small group was. And if someone had told me, I probably wouldn't have joined or attended initially because I wasn't at that place. Right? Um, I was probably more looking for relationships, for connections. Um, but at the same time, I didn't want it. I didn't, I wasn't necessarily looking for super deep, like intimate relationships where they could, they would know all of my faults and mistakes and struggles. I just wanted close enough that didn't feel alone, but not so close that I was vulnerable and, right, um, and isn't that true of a lot of people, right? And, and so this idea that um, there were going to be people that would actually see the warts and some of those type of things. That w that did not have any appeal to me. Um, yet now, um, as I look back, I know that a lot of my spiritual growth, a lot of my the health and working through all the things that I had to work through and all of the uh, a, a different situations that I had in my life, if I didn't have a small group there to provide the support, to provide the compassion, to com provide the care, I don't know how I would have progressed and made it through those things. And so now I understand just how invaluable small groups are, but I did not start there. And so it's kind of when we talk about this and when we go through these things, I think that's part of what we have to keep in mind. Sometimes you just you have to start where people are at, right? And you may have to, hate to use the word trick, but in essence almost trick them into being part of a small group. Um, it's kind of like giving a pet or a child medicine that they don't want to take. Right? Okay. All right. You know that it's for their good. You know that it's their way to health. It's, you know that all the benefits that are there, but you also know if you just presented it to them straight out, they would not take it. Okay. And so that's part of part of what we're going to part of what we're going to talk about. Right now, um, with that said, there are some things. One thing I am not going to do is tell you that this is the small group model that is going to work for your church. Okay. Cause I don't know your church. I don't know your culture. I don't know your vision. I don't know the composition of the people that are coming. I don't know if you have a lot of, of single moms or you have a lot more that I don't know any of your demographics, right? I don't know what history you've had with small groups. I don't know any of the things that really factor into what's the right model for you. So what we're going to talk about are some concepts that regardless of what model is right for you would apply. Right. And and you will have to do the hard work, whether you're a small group leader, a small group pastor, a whatever your role is with small group, you'll have to do the hard work of translating what does that mean in my environment. Now, the great news is that as part of the network, that's part of what I'm here for. So outside of this, after this time is done, 
and you're thinking, okay, this is great, but how do I apply it in my church setting? Give me a call. Send me an email. Let's have a conversation about that where I can start to learn about your culture, right, and the things that you're struggling with and can help you think about, okay, how do I take this and apply it within my particular setting and, and my vision and, you know, the church vision, right? So that's part, that's a follow-up, right? That's a, an additional step, okay? So I just want to level set as to what you can get and what you can't get out of this time that we have. So, I titled this Five Not-So-Little Strategies Required for Small Group Success. And when we go through this, some of this might be new, and some of this you're going to be like, I know this, right? But there's a lot of things we know we should do, and for whatever reason, we don't do them, okay? Um, We kind of know what's healthy for us and what is not, Right? I know how many times I should be going to the gym or working out. I obviously don't always do that. Okay, So it doesn't hurt to revisit some of these things, even if they're not this revolutionary, just mind-blowing, oh, what, a, what an idea. Right? You know, there's not all the bells and whistles and stars aligning or any of those type of things. So, so we'll still cover those. Okay? Um, As we do so, I want to keep in mind, this fits into a larger piece of leadership development, right? So when we're talking about small groups, and that's what we're going to focus on, I want you to understand that the, the role of small group, and we're going to look at four philosophies associated with it, the role of small group as it relates to discipleship, as it relates to uh, developing our leaders, uh, all of those things, they all fit in a bigger picture, what we call leader development at the network level. A lot of things that are going on in this, and I'm not going to spend time on these pieces, but know that there's other ways and other resources available to help support leader development in addition to what we're doing with small groups. So things on coaching, on mentoring, on emerging leaders, transformational leadership, business incubators. I mean, a whole range of things that all comes through the leader development that you can get here. Okay. But we're going to focus specifically in on small group. And we're going to look at five what I call the five magic beans. Has anyone wondered why I came up with five magic beans? Okay. (laughs) Or magic beans. So, if any of you have heard of Jack and the Beanstalk, okay, Jack and the Beanstalk, right, his task was to go and sell the cow where the last last animal they had, it was just the mother and the son. They were... um, poor. They had nothing. They had went through everything. That was the last thing they had. And she had sent them to the market to sell it. And that's what he was supposed to do. And on the way, someone stops him and gives him this whole spiel about these magic beans and convinces him to trade this cow for these magic beans. And when he takes those back home, the, the mom is just beside herself. Like, how could he be so foolish? Yet then these beings, primarily through faith, you can read it however you want, they end up opening up 
and creating this beanstalk that then allows him to go up and, you know, now this is not Christian, okay, this is not biblical, so we're not getting theology from this. I'm just telling you a, okay, so this is not a formation of theology. Um, But he goes and then he gets the giant and whatnot. The whole idea behind these things is that they work, but they work in conjunction with us exercising faith, hearing from God, understanding, allowing God to take these things, shape them for our church, understand that direction. This is not a formula that you can use separate from spend the time with God in prayer to understand what's the small group vision, direction, purpose. And some of these will flow through. So these are five principles that as you spend time in prayer, thinking through these things, you allow God to shape them. All right. So, plus I was just creative that day. I don't know. (laughs) Okay. So, um, we're going to look at fitness, what I call fitness, heart, soul, comfort, and expectations. And that will make more sense as we go through. Okay. This is where you're going to see some of my instructional design, other things, right? I just can't do a bullet list. That's just how I am. Okay. So, we're going to start with fitness. And we're going to look at a few the philosophies as it relates to small groups. These philosophies are not right or wrong. There's no one that's better or worse than the other. Um, what these, and, and these slides we will, I will make available. I will upload them onto the scheduling tool or app so that everyone who's here or who's attended, you'll have access to them. I just did not want them in advance because here's what I find. If they are given in advance, people are looking at them and they're trying to listen and process at the same time and it doesn't work. Okay? It just doesn't work. Keep that in mind when you're doing some of your small group type of curriculum and other things. The more things you give them to have to pay attention to, the, least, the less effective you're going to be. So if you're showing a video and you're having curriculum and you have a handout and you have all these questions they're supposed to think about as they're watching the video, it just doesn't work. It's overload. Okay. So, so we, we're going to have these four philosophies. This really is going to build, about, build on the what and why of small groups. Our what and why. Why are we doing small groups? What's our fundamental belief? Right? There's an aspect, small groups is for community building. right? And you're building community, but you're building community for a purpose. Right? Um, a lot of things build community. Social clubs build communities. Fitness centers build community. You can get community in a lot of ways. There are a gazillion meetups on meetup.com that you can go to. Small group is not just another meetup. Right? Small group serves a purpose of community building for spiritual growth. That's my fundamental philosophy that it is about um, practicing biblical community. 
discipleship, leadership development, multiplication. It's really about moving people along their spiritual journey. And it's where you start to live out the one another's in scripture, right? And, and just think about this. This is the thing. And at this piece, I had to write down because I didn't want to miss any, any of this. Where else? Only God could do this. Where else do you combine? This is the church. Think about this. Where else do you combine people from different generations, from the very young to the very old and everything in between, different social, economic, economic, educational statuses, single, married, without kids, married with kids, empty nesters, divorced, widowed, career-focused, business owner, leader, different sin backgrounds, right? So whatever people's proclivity is, whether it's just gossip or whether it's it's various other things, right? Different sin backgrounds, different temperaments, different personalities, different viewpoints, different cultural backgrounds, different spiritual experiences, and ask them to do life together. Right? Only in the church and then in the small group setting where it becomes even more one-on-one or, you know, a smaller number, do you think there's going to be conflict there? All right? Do you think everyone's going to like each other? All right? No. But the purpose of small group is not to combine a bunch of people who actually just have this natural affection for one another. That's not the purpose. All right? Um, so as we look at that and we think about it and we start to think of these philosophies and think about our why, it has to transcend this idea that it's getting people together to have some common. I mean, the main thing people are going to have in common is that they want to grow closer to God. That's it. That is the foundation on which small groups is built. All right, so let's look at these four, these five Four. I can't count today. Four philosophies. Uh, church growth and disciple building, leader building, mission driving. I'm going to explain this. So some of this says that when we're, say, we're using primarily a church growth philosophy to drive our small groups, what we're basically starting with is saying we want to keep people in the church because we believe if they stay in the church that they will get developed. Right, so our focus is getting them to stay in the church, and so we do that by drawing them into community. And our really, our real focus is just developing basic relationships within those first few months, so that they feel connected and engaged. It's not necessarily that the small group is going to do all the discipleship, but the small group is going to just provide them some basic relationships that then will they will continue on to develop outside of the small group. Right. When you have this type of philosophy, what generally happens is you have a, a um, there's less emphasis on structured curriculum. There's a lot more emphasis on just um, getting together. You normally have uh, fewer requirements for leaders who serve as uh, who primarily serve as hosts. Right. You have a lot more small groups. You may have 50, 80, 100 whatever, because they are generally based on um, just 
the various different affinities that people may have. You might have a small group that's around bikers, a small group that's for artists, whatever, right? Because the idea is just get those relationships, get them connected, get them plugged in, and then the discipleship will happen, right? So that's one philosophy for small groups. Oops. Um, what you start to see, and we're going to see this a little more, yeah, is when we think of that, small, uh, church growth philosophy really focuses on more at this top of the principle of reach. And this is from Sticky Church, Larry Osborne, where he, he talks about reach. Um, a church growth and missional that we'll look at later really focuses on the everyone and the interested. So there's a lot more on social gatherings, on fellowship. We'll come back to this slide at the end, right, um, and see how this plays out ac across the other ones. In disciple building, transformation happens within community. Again, there's still community. All of these, there's community. Um, but in this case, we're saying... Uh, a primary emphasis is for small groups is in discipleship, and that's going to happen more in a, a one-on-three, one-on-six, one-on-twelve. So that means these small groups are going to be smaller, right? You're not going to have a small group that has 20 people in it, 30 people in it, 40 people in it. You might have that under a church growth philosophy. You're going to have much smaller, much more intimate people that are they're together for a longer period of time, whereas a church growth philosophy, you might have uh, a regular calendar where your small groups are only one semester and, and you do a semester system and they start and they end and you may not have the same and people move. Here, they're together for a lot longer. Now, and I would not say forever, right? They are, this is not, none of these are forever. Small groups are going to have a natural rhythm as people move away, other things. But still, they're likely together for a year, two years, maybe even three. There is a much longer rhythm on a disciple-based focus or philosophy around small groups. Okay. Oops. We'll come back to these. I don't know what happened there. Um, leader building philosophy. I'm going to come back and dig into each one of these in a minute. Okay. So leader building philosophy says that leaders are grown within community. So in this case, the purpose of small groups is really to help people develop their gifts, develop their callings, figure out where they plug in as the church, what their ministry or calling is. That does not mean vocational ministry, ministry or calling, right? It builds on the idea of a, everyone's the, the priesthood of all believers, right? And what is it? And so then... This focus is on that, and, and so that's the focus of this. That follows a very different curriculum if that is your primary philosophy around small groups. And it also means you need to have a very different type of small group leader if that's what you're doing. Okay? And then the last one, like I said, we're going to come back and drive into each one of these. Small groups are the means through which the church establishes community, but they also reach out into the community to live the Great Commission. So when you're doing a missions, when your philosophy around small groups is more mission-focused, you tend to have much bigger small groups because they are more outreach and evangelistic in nature. Right, and so you are constantly reaching out and drawing people in, 
right? There's pros and cons to each of these philosophies. That's why I say it's not a matter of which one is better or worse than others. We're going to spend just a little bit more time talking about each one of these so you can see the pros and cons because this is where everything starts. Everything builds upon your philosophy to small groups. Right, your structure that you need to have in place, what type of small group leader you want, how you train them, orient them. Um, all, every decision starts with what is your driving philosophy for small group. So if you don't know that or haven't articulated that, what you likely end up with is a whole mix of all of these right, going on. And everyone kind of has their own view of why small groups is occurring and what it means to have a small group. And if you were to, if, were to survey your small groups, they are all over the map as far as what they do, what they incorporate, don't incorporate. All right. And so that tends to be what happens. All right. So I talked about, I showed this briefly. We're going to go back to this on the principle of reach. You can see how... A church growth or missional ones, they tend to be the most inclusive as far as drawing everyone in that comes through your church walls. Even those who only attend periodically, well, I shouldn't say that, a lot of people attend church only periodically. But those who are really sporadic even gets drawn in and in this type of a, a focus. But when you get to discipleship and leadership, that tends to draw on those that are ready to go deeper, right? So you might say, well, we really need all of these. That's not the overriding question. Overriding question is what, what's your driving philosophy, right, as to why if your driving philosophy is for, is for discipleship, yes, you do need some way to get them down into this funnel, but it may, it may be a secret small group. It may be something else. It may be through your connection. So, yes, you still do need to do something, but, it, but your driving philosophy is still that you're going for discipleship. Right. Okay, so look at that. When you are going for discipleship, here's what needs to be a part of your small group. If, if your goal is to disciple people, to help them get to a place of spiritual maturity, spiritual growth, continue to move along, right, then you have to have some element of discussing God's word. Now, this does not mean that it needs to be an in-depth expository of the, you know, whatever, pick a book. You know, where you are going through line by line, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. That's not what this means. But somehow you have to help people connect what's going on to their within their life to God's word. Right? And you have to help them make that connection of themselves to God and where they fit within God's story and what's going on in their life and interpreting it from a sound biblical perspective and not necessarily from a, and not from a worldly perspective, right? You have to have some element of providing genuine care. I started this saying that this was the part that I experienced in a small group that made it sticky for me. The other things are now occurring, but the, the genuine care, the small group is the place where compassion and, and the care of the community should come to life. A pastor or even volunteer leaders cannot, cannot be the only people providing care to the church. 
cannot happen. One person cannot care for 100 people or 150 people or 300 people or however many are in the walls. Right? Ten people can't do it. Generally, our span of care is only is somewhere between 10 to 30 people, roughly, depending on what they need at any given time. That's it. So for that care to become personal, it has to happen in small group. Authentic accountability. Now, that's a word no one likes. But if we are truly doing small groups for discipleship, there has to be accountability. That, that will take time to develop. And that is one of the challenges when you have a church growth philosophy to small group. It is, it's hard to get this authentic accountability because it takes time for you to trust someone enough to share your hurts, your pains, your fears, your, your struggles. You're not going to open up to someone and someone in your small group is not going to open up to you about an issue that's going on in their marriage if they've known you for three weeks. Right. And so when you have these really short term small groups, right, and so that is more the, the semester system, genuine care and authentic accountability become a little bit more of a challenge. And then you've got to figure out how you get that to happen. Okay. Um, meaningful prayer. Right. A lot of people do not know how to pray. They just don't know. Some of it has been what they've experienced, and the other is just what the dynamic of what's going on in the church. Those who are joining churches now, many of them do not have a Christian upbringing. They have not had a Christian upbringing in their homes. All they have is what they've seen on TV. Is that the impression you want them to have of prayer? Right? Um, so often this has to be modeled. So small group leaders have to model this within their small group. So if you're not having, if you just say, oh, let's pray without really modeling that, you're not going to get the types of prayer. You're not going to necessarily help them develop a lifestyle of prayer, right? And that's really what you're going for is a lifestyle of prayer, and then reaching out intentionally. Okay? So well-balanced small groups engage in mutual ministry. They engage in, you'll see there's two arms here, discipling and caring. All right? If you have one of these things missing, people are missing out on something from a small group experience. All right? So they need the teaching and they need the shepherding. That's the discipling piece. But they need the connecting and the nurturing. That's the caring piece. Okay? That's a well-balanced small group ministry. Now, if you decide to go further... And keep in mind, these are not mutually exclusive. So you could have a discipleship building focus, but then still have a small group that is for leaders that continues to develop their leadership. That could be a small group where all of the other elements of discipleship is still going on. The genuine care, the studying God's word, all of those pieces, but you add another layer that is on leadership, right? Um, I like this quote. When you're doing leadership, this is part of what you're reinforcing. Um, 
it, it's a little hard to swallow sometimes if you think about what it's really saying, especially that last part that is basically saying we shouldn't ask what's wrong with the world. Right? We know what's wrong with the world. What we should be asking is what's happened to the salt and the light. Right? Darkness can only exist when light is not present. Right? And that's part of the vision that the small group has to, has to be able to see. Right? That there is this element of leadership that goes on over time. Now, is everyone ready to go down this path when they first join a small group? No. That's why this is at the bottom of that reach thing, because often people have to get healing first. Before they can step into this, they have to get their, get their own stuff dealt with. Right? And then they're ready for this. So this could, this may be something that is only for a subset of those in small groups. So, so, and this is why. This is how they progress. First, they have to learn how to lead themselves. Then they can learn how to lead others. Then they may lead leaders. And then they may lead ministries. Now, here's the interesting thing that I find happens in small groups and in churches. And it is a challenge. People come in and they are used to leadership roles in the marketplace. And so they assume that that makes them ready to jump right here to lead ministries, right? And they haven't necessarily gone down this path of learning to lead themselves, then leading others, then leading leaders. Which is why you have to, one of the questions you have to answer, and we'll talk about it in a minute, is what qualifies someone to be a small group leader? At what point, and again, this is, some of this is going to be part of your philosophy. If they are going to be discipling, you're going to want a lot more qualification than if they are more a church growth where they're just helping to get people connected. Right? If they are going to be discipling and then ultimately helping to develop leaders, you need to make sure that they are ready to do that. And we're going to look at that. Okay. The other aspect, and then we're going to move on. I want to make sure we get through things that we have to consider. As we do small groups, again, this is the philosophy on the mission side. If you have a missions-focused philosophy, you tend to get these bigger groups, but you still have this issue of if you're dealing with some people in their social space or their public space, they do not share as much. Right? We have this, and you can't see that piece, we have this intimate space that is normally one to, one to three people right? that really are just see, I don't, I don't want to say the ugly, but just, just see raw, right? the raw. Um, you have a personal space that's probably six to 12 people that see a lot more and that, that you allow to speak directly into your life. But then you have a social space. What happens when we get into the social space where there's 20 to 70 people? This is a social space right here. What happens? It gets quiet. Thank you. It just got quiet here. 
Yep. The reality is a missional community, when you're focused a lot on social space, isn't much different than just having a smaller church. Right? The public space, when you get to 75 plus people, people become somewhat nameless, faceless, right? So if that becomes your philosophy, then you still have the question, how do people get connected? How do they get care? How do they get discipled, right? Okay, so that's, so that's the idea of fitness. You have to make that decision. So how many of you would say you know your driving philosophy behind small groups? What it is you're trying to accomplish? And that that aligns with the church vision. Yes? Can you have one without the other? Have one what? Can you know that, that the small groups are reflecting and, and your, your church mission statement, your philosophy, and yet... Your small groups are diverse in that some are discipleship, some are service uh, yeah. small groups, some are uh, recreational small groups. Um, so, y yes, I, I think there's a difference between the type of small group as far as what the affinity is that has brought the small group together and the philosophy that draws that small group. So you can still do discipleship in a service-focused small group, right? Because they can still, before they go out to serve, they can still have a devotion. They can have prayer. They can share, right? They can have time of sharing. So the fact that they are together because they are serving together doesn't mean that you can't embed discipleship in that. Right. But if you're not intentional about it, they can just go out and do good, but not focus on spiritual growth. Right. And so can you can you have a whole variety of small groups that kind of have a missional focus as far as why they're together or have a discipleship focus? Yes, you can do that. But you still have to be very intentional. What's your What's your targeted outcome? If it's discipleship, so if you have a disciple-building philosophy, you're going to have to be very intentional with those service groups and recreational groups to make sure that that's actually happening and they're not just getting together. Yes? Can't some become a funnel? Uh, I guess yeah. that's the developing is that we have our recreational, our larger group. Mm -hmm. you know, but they're not going to get the accountability in that. Not even so, but they are connecting. You know, and there's care happening. Mm -hmm. But we're trying to funnel them into more intentional, you know, personal, longer lasting groups. Yes. So you still have, the way I would say that is you still have a discipleship philosophy, but you've recognized that you need a funnel to get them down into that discipleship stage and so your recreational groups are a funnel they're not the purpose the purpose is not recreation it's really not just connection the purpose is to to serve as a starting point to get them into 
those deeper relationships. You gotta be very intentional about that though to make sure your systems and processes are designed to allow that funnel to work, that you have a way of taking them from the recreational to the deeper, right? And a, a way of knowing and measuring that that's actually happening. And then understanding if they don't, why aren't they, right? Yeah. So Tiffany introduced me to a couple groups connected to Saddleback Church, okay? And it turned out I got introduced to Todd Atkins, who's the, he's the leadership development director for Lifeway, Lifeway Bookstore. So that all happened because we went to a small group training. And uh, part of that discussion is related to your question, and that is the challenge with a model like that, so there's always pros and cons with models, is that most churches today uh, don't offer a map, they offer a menu. And when you offer a menu, people tend to eat what they like, not necessarily what they need. Yeah. And so that's the challenge with that model. Right. So that's where the intentional, you have to be very intentional to take them deeper. But yes, you can do that. I guess for us it would be kind of with this, if you get them to the auditorium, then you can, you know, then you can map them to this. Uh-huh. I guess that would be the approach we're trying to take. Right. Right. And, and, and your word, yes. They can see the whole map and they come, you know, first we can give them that first, then hopefully they can see the next step to the map. Right. And, and they don't have to see the map. I, I, I think that's a great analogy. They do not have to see the map, but you need to have a map. And your leaders need to understand the map. And all of your leaders need to understand the map, regardless of what ministry they, they are in. They need to understand that this is the map that we're working towards so everyone's aligned. So, yes, someone coming in in that entry point, they don't need to understand that there's a funnel and that you're, you're trying to channel them that way. But... All the leaders do. Probably Correct. Correct. Okay. So let's talk a little bit. So that was fitness. All right. I'm going to talk a little bit about heart. And then um, heart and soul together. Right. Because heart and soul was about the who. Who should be small group leaders? And how do you equip them? All right. And one of the things I say, and so you see the little picture of a heart over there? Okay, I admit, I was up kind of late when I, when I did some of these ones, so. Um, so the, the heart, the whole point of this, of the heart piece is that we have to make sure with small group leaders that we are setting the expectation that heart preparation is far more important than home preparation, right? That there are a lot of people, they stress out when they're going to have small group to make sure their home's clean, that this is done, that this is done, that they have the right food. And hospitality is important. But the growth that's going to happen in small groups and people is going to happen because the leaders have spent time in prayer, they spent time in worship. They spent time listening to God's voice and understanding what God wants to do with that small group. All right. And so we often need to set very clear expectations. If you're a small group leader, we expect you 
to spend at least, and you know, sometimes you hate to put out hours in there, but you do want to put some type of thing in there, you know, at a minimum. Yeah, I might say, let's just think about this. If, if a small group met weekly, and some of our small groups, they meet all over the place. Some meet weekly, some meet every two weeks, some meet once a month. Um, it depends on the purpose of the small group, right? But I'm going to use this as an example. If they meet weekly and you ask them to put an hour in heart preparation in the, in the 24 hours before the small group meets, so like immediately before, morning of, or evening before, something like that, where they are solely focused not on preparing their home, but on preparing the environment, right? Because that's what this is about is preparing the environment, inviting God's presence in, inviting the Holy Spirit in to do the work that only it can do. It is not your job to grow people. Right? That is God's job. It is our job and small group leaders' jobs to help provide the environment in which that growth can occur. And that message has to be delivered loud and clear that that is one of their primary responsibilities. And if you're, that means that your home isn't sparkling clean, it's okay, right? Because it's not the sparkling clean house that's going to provide transformation. But if they spend an hour in the 24 hours before, in addition, above and beyond any of their prep time that they have for the small group. So let's say they, um, they may have to prep an hour for the small group. They need to spend an hour in just preparing themselves, preparing the environment. Um, and, and then they have the small group themselves who may be saying, okay, so that's four hours perhaps, five hours a week. Isn't that a lot? Is it? How much is too much to invest in growing people from a spiritual standpoint? Is it too much to expect that they would spend two to three hours a week or every two weeks just solely preparing to pour into people's lives? If, if it, the answer is yeah, if they say they can't do that, then maybe it's not their season for being a small group leader. And I know that might be hard because we're like, we can't tell them not to be a small group leader. We could barely get anyone to be small group leaders. But, but would you rather not have a small group leader or have the wrong small group leader? Which one is going to do more damage? So, right, so that, that's the heart. So got to emphasize the heart preparation, set those expectations, make it clear. Yes? I just look at that as, okay, so spending an hour of time at least preparing for this, I feel like you would be totally blessed by that hour. Yeah. Spending time, you know, Okay, then you get to the benefit of having a clean home. Yes. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's beneficial. It is. It absolutely is. But we got to help people see that, right? Um, then the soul preparation. So this is number three. So two was heart. Three is the soul preparation. This is where, this is all about them designing it for inclusivity. 
So taking the time, and this is often, so this is this little picture right here where you see you have all these people that are there, they're talking, they're interacting, and then you have the one person who's standing apart. And no one notices that that one person is standing apart. Or, I mean, it could be that no one notices that that one person has never spoke a word. Right. Uh, I mentioned all of the all of the dynamics you have going on as far as the church and the people we bring together and that there's going to be conflict. But also in that is going to be some very different personalities. And I don't have time to do a teaching on introversion or ex and extroversion. But that is a key dynamic within small groups that small group leaders should be trained on to understand. This is where some of the teaching, training, and equipment needs to happen. Right? Designing for inclusivity is not going to happen by accident. And we can't expect people to know how to do this. They have to be equipped on how to do it. They have to understand that some people are going to process externally. Some people are going to process internally. And if you have only activities that, that appeal to those processing externally, you're never going to hear from the rest of the people who are introverts. Not going to happen. <coughs> Right? And so you need to have that mix. That's the training, teaching, and equipping piece of it. The other piece of that inclusivity is, is just recognizing that um, people express and experience intimacy differently. Right? We all have different amounts of personal space that we're comfortable with. Right? For me, my personal space is very like little. That's from growing up in a big family, right? I was the youngest of seven. You don't have a lot of personal space, <laughs> right? You just don't. Um, other people, I mean, uh, I know I can get very close to people and be talking to them, and it would, I would not think anything of it. If you do that to someone else, they may think you're angry at them. They may feel threatened or uncomfortable with me. I'll be like, eh, whatever. Right? It doesn't mean anything. Right? But people have to be taught that. Because right? I had to learn that not everyone has the same personal space that I do. And I had to learn how to read that so that I, as a leader, could respect that and approach people in the way that's going to make them the most comfortable. Because it's not about me. It's about them. And it's not about saying, oh, they just need to get over that because that's how I am. No. Right? Our job is to reach out to them and to pull them in and make them feel included, which means we may have to step out of our comfort zone of, of what we do and how we approach people. And we need to teach our leaders to do the same. Um, variety in the fellowship offered. Everyone, I see this a lot in small groups, everyone does not have to do the same thing. So even if you, you may only have you may have 10 people or 15 people, whatever the number is, and you think, we're all going to do this. You don't have to. I mean, I know one small group we have, when they come together, they are combining career and college, right? Young adults. Um, and, and by default, they have different interests. And when you go there, it may look somewhat, not really chaotic, it's orderly, but you will generally see some people watching a movie because there's a group that wanted to watch a movie. So some people are watching a movie, some people are playing games, be it scum or some other things, and if you don't 
no scum. That means you haven't hung out with Radiant Life Church at a an event yet. So, because <laughs> we play it at every event. Um, but you know, some may be playing card games. Some may have a group where they're just talking, right? And so it's okay to break small groups into subgroups, right? And, in fact, may create more intimacy because you take those 12 and four may be doing this and four may be doing that and four may be doing that, and that's okay. That everyone doesn't have to do the same thing. And so need to help people start to think about that. Different engagement opportunities. Um, may add video. Sometimes it may be sharing testimonies. Sometimes, now here's a novel thought, you may just ask people to be silent. Now so, that will kill some people, <laughs> right? <laughs> to be silent and listen. But you know who's going to love that? Your introverts, right? To be silent and have time to reflect on something before they have to talk about it, your introverts are going to love it. Your extroverts are going to be counting the minutes. And that's okay. All right? But teach people how to do this. Which gets to, you have to have some process, some developed process for developing your small group leaders. All right? And this is, again, not everyone needs the same thing. So you have to often tier your small group leaders. Some small group leaders, if you're brand new, there are things you need to know. That's what onboarding and orientation is for. Don't make someone who's been doing small group for two or three years sit through your onboarding and orientation just because you want all the small group leaders together. Find another way to do that. Right? Make the onboarding orientation just for those who need to know because the other group is going to be bored. Teaching, training, and equipping, and coaching. This is for everyone, but often has to be tailored to the level of experience. New, and I would often recommend new, intermediate, and advanced. There are some things for intermediate and advanced you may introduce that may just overwhelm someone who's new to small group. So someone who's new to small group, you don't want to sit there and tell them how to deal with every situation they may encounter, how to deal with the person who is going to perhaps... Um, break down a small group and share about whatever, right? You know, that is just overwhelming. But someone who's been doing small group a little bit probably needs a little bit more on how to deal with some of the life crisis things that may emerge in small groups, right? So this has to be tailored. If you're a small group leader and you've been doing this for a little bit, you need to start asking yourself, what training do I need that would help me better serve the needs of my members? All right. If I have a lot of people in here that are dealing with um, relational challenges in their marriage, perhaps I might need to bring someone in that can help us go through a, a um, marital relationship type of a study. That doesn't necessarily mean I have to do it, but I might need to find someone who can help shepherd this small group for a season and help me get through this. Right? We don't have to do it all. Even as small group leaders, there may be areas that are completely outside of our comfort zone, level of expertise or experience. And that's when we have to look and, and raise our hand and say, who can help me with this? 
and maybe they come in for a season for your small group and help shepherd through that. Maybe you bring someone in to help shepherd them through prayer or through some other area, and then y'all all grow together, right? So it's okay to have a guest leader in a small group. I know it seems like a, schools do this all the time. They have guest lecturers, guest professors. It is okay to have a guest small group leader. And then offboarding. Offboarding is not something we think about. But there is going to come a time when someone wants to step down from doing small groups. It might be for a season. It may be permanently, depending on what God's calling them and what may be going on in their life and transition. We need a way to make sure that they get plugged back into a small group of their own, where they are now a member of a small group, right? That they're not just left out there because they're not leading small groups anymore, so they're just left out there. We need to have an offboarding process that connects them back into community, into the life of small groups, and help them make the transition, because it can be hard when you're a leader and you step away from that to then just plug in as a member, all right? So we need a process for offboarding small group leaders. How many, I, I didn't even think about that until recently. So that's all about the who, right? What you won't see on there is how much background they have. Do they have ministerial credentials? Do they have this? Do they have that? That's not what we should be thinking about when we talk about small group leaders. We need to understand their heart. Are they teachable? Their passion, their willingness to go through this process, to be trained, to submit themselves. Those are the types of things we're looking for, not, you know, a resume. All right. Now, we have two more things to cover in seven minutes. (laughs) But these are the easy ones. Even though they're the ones we talk about the most, the the other three are the ones we probably talk about the least and or matter the most. But these are this is all about then the how. How do you get people plugged into small groups? All right. Make it easy. Make it easy to belong. That's straightforward. Provide options. Options are good. So the one who said they have a lot of different small groups or a lot of different options, options are good because it, it reflects that people are at different stages in their life. They have different things and pressing on their schedules, different responsibilities. Options are good. Different days of the week, different times of the day. One of the things I know we have to do with our women's ministry, and we're going to work on it, is a lot of our women's ministry small groups meet in the day. Well, that is fine if you're uh, not working outside of the home. Notice I didn't say not working. I said not working outside of the home. Okay. Because <laughs> there is a difference. If, you're, if you have kids, you're working. It's just a matter of you also working outside of the home in addition to. Okay. Um, options are good. Checklists. They, you know, just get what you need for, to be able to plug them in. They don't need to give you their entire history. You don't need to know all about their family, the ages of their kids. Uh, just make it a, as, as much as close of a simple click as possible, right? Or a check the box or just make it simple. What do you need? Email, phone number maybe depending on whether they're going to email or text, and a name, and what group they want to belong in. Keep it simple. Right? The other stuff will come. Um, make, the, make it easy for them to get the information. Information t- tables, websites, cards, and please, if you're going to have it on your website, 
keep it up to date. That is going to be hard, but if you're going to put it out there, make sure it's up to date. It is a poor experience for someone to see a small group that they want to belong to and then to go to sign up for it and they find out that it no longer meets. <laughs> All right. Now, this is the piece. Make it make people uneasy not belonging. Yes, I'm not talking about guilt. I'm talking about make them see the value of belonging to the point where they feel uncomfortable not belonging. So ask, ask, ask. Remember the, the, the widow who kept knocking, kept asking with the unrighteous judge, right? We're doing something far more important than that, right? So keep, keep, keep asking, asking, asking. If it sounds like a broken record, that's fine because that's when people are just starting to get it, right? Share testimonies. Let your small group members talk about what small group has done for them. Videotape some of the testimonies. If you're afraid to give people a mic, if they're going to be long with it, so you don't want your church service to get off track because they might spend 10 minutes, all right, then tape it. Then you can edit it and you can make sure that it only takes a minute or a minute and a half, right? But Find a way for them to share testimonies of what has, how small group has helped them in some way so that people start to, start to develop a hunger and a thirst for it to a point where they're asking you to be in a small group. Repeat frequently until it's part of the language of the church. Everyone should be talking about small groups. Every small group leader should be talking about small groups all the time. Every uh, ministry leader, your youth leaders, your, everyone should be talking about small groups. Um, celebrate small group leaders and participants, right? So bring them up, celebrate what they're doing, how they're pouring into the church, how they're leading, how they're shepherding. Celebrate it. It's my thing about to, my battery is running low. That's okay, because we're at the end. I have a Facebook page that you are welcome again the slide will be out there I would love for people to join this Facebook page because I post resources out on this Facebook page so things on like introverts extroverts ways you can include them all of that type of stuff training that I'm doing across the network all of it is posted in that Facebook page okay it is a it is a group page, which means it's only open to small group leaders because the idea is that you can also share things that you are struggling with as a small group leader. So I do not want this to be a page that blasts onto everyone's feed, right? So it will only go to those who are members of it. Comments. I know we only have a minute or so for lunch. Questions. I, I doubt if I got to everything, but I am available. Yes. Uh, one of my, our, we're a small church, so I'm looking for the church growth. Uh -huh. now, did you touch on the, the church growth? Um, small groups, is that what you're talking about, like the light church? Right. Yes. Uh, yes, those are your church growth. They are, they are really getting... The community? Yes. They're getting those basic relationships started, built around some type of affinity, right? And they may be together for a short period of time, but it, it allows people to start to come together, get that community, but then you need to have a way to take them deeper. Okay, from the church, down the discipline. Yes. Okay. Yep. Yes.
when we sign on to the Facebook page, we have information about our small group, about our church. Make it easy. Nope. I can get that from you, but I'm not going to ask you for it to sign up. I'll just be glad if you click on the link. Right? I'm going to try to model what I preach, right? Keep it simple. Thank you.